Hello everyone, welcome to all of you newcomers, and hi once again, my seasoned listeners out there. You've landed on episode 15 of Bestowing the Brush. I am Dallas Noctegal, and I explore the topics of drawing instruction, art studies, and visual literacy from a Charlotte Mason perspective here on the show. Back in episodes 13 and 14, I talked with a local atelier owner and private school art instructor. Just as Charlotte Mason in her work showed by contrast how her method differed from the popular schools of thought, I too like to present different sides to see what we can learn, but also to grow in our understanding of how Charlotte Mason presented these subjects differently. This week's guest will get you thinking along different lines. Today, I have a guest who is far away in distance, but close to my heart, Rochelle Babudina, we have on the show today. Thank you for joining me here today, Rochelle. Thanks, Dallas. You are such a welcome voice in the Charlotte Mason community, and I'm really happy to be here with you, and I'm so happy to follow your work and venture alongside with you in this educational phase. Thank you, Rochelle. Um, makes me feel like I'm on the right path here and that we can just do this shoulder to shoulder and help one another out and really discuss living ideas. So thank you. Rochelle and I met initially without her knowing. I got to know her through her wonderful math guide, Charlotte Mason's Living Math, a guided journey DVD. When it comes to this area of study, I seize up, but through Rochelle's gentle direction and guiding light, the Lord is steadily rooting out this fear of numbers in my life. Rochelle has been a conduit for this healing and has helped in changing my perspectives in mathematics. Thank you, Rochelle, for making Charlotte Mason's ideas more crystallized for studying math in a living way. Oh, you're welcome. That tickles me. (laughs) Besides this wonderful service to the CM community, she has also collaborated with Emily Kaiser for Brush Drawing, a basic course produced by 2020 Press. If you have not yet looked at this course, everything about it is beautiful. Rochelle's graceful brush-drawn forms adorn the cover, and the lessons you need to begin the basics of brush drawing is included. This is a valuable resource for those of you out there who may be intimidated by finding your own materials or lack the know-how with starting this study of form and color. The directions are simple, clear, and on conveniently sized cards. Um, And I just was able to get a hold of a copy and have begun using it. I think I blew through about the first five lessons within one night, and so... Um, You and I have talked before about how therapeutic it is sometimes and relaxing and using our focused energy on something and it's never, never wasted time. So we are also thankful for your work, Rochelle. Oh, I'm so glad that you like it. You know, I was hopeful. I was really hopeful that you would like it. And, um, And I like that you are taking it at your pace, which is definitely a faster pace than I think most. Um, But I'm really glad that you like it. Um, I think it was uh, Emmeline Steinthal, when she first developed her brush drawing course, the AL course in brush drawing, 
and she said that she hoped that it would be a joy and a light to mothers. And that's the way I feel. Oh, wow. I hadn't heard those words before, but I really have been liking what I have read from Steinthal. And I just feel a kinship with her because of her work and her mission. It just sounds like the natural outworking of Mason's philosophy. Yes. And I don't know, maybe really quickly, if if your listeners don't know who Emmeline Steinthal was, uh, she was a great dear friend of Charlotte Mason's, and she was very instrumental in Charlotte Mason um, kind of taking that leap to, uh, to form the Parents Educational Union, which became the Parents National Educational Union. Wow, yeah. She's definitely one to, if you're curious about, I will, I will link to her and some of her articles in my show notes. You can check that out. But moving along, speaking of brush drawing, today we will be discussing this specific watercolor technique is what it is. It's making a big comeback, and I think for good reason. Rochelle, I've gotten the impression that both of these resources aforementioned have been birthed out of a place of frustration with you, not knowing how to implement certain ideas in your school initially, and staying true to a Charlotte Mason method. Is that true with this brush drawing project you took on? Because, well, what happened actually is that um, my son, um, he wasn't enjoying handwriting. And so it, it, how I got started with my research in Charlotte Mason math as well, and that is uh, we weren't achieving the desired results, and we were in, in all of our other areas of study. And so when that happens right away, I think I have probably misunderstood something. And so I really wanted to take a closer look and see what I was missing. And when I did that, so I was initially researching handwriting, and when I did that, I noticed that brush drawing was a part of the schedule of the Parents Union Schools, Charlotte Mason Schools, and a half hour was given uh, to these brush drawing lessons. It wasn't that handwriting was taking place every day. It was, um, it was interwoven with brush drawing lessons that were taking uh, place twice a week. And Emmeline Steinthal um, talks in another place about... Um, Teachers that have incorporated brush drawing have noticed a marked improvement in their students' handwriting, and that's how it got started. Um, <laughs> and then, wow. you know, <laughs> so yeah, I was like, "Who is this kid?" Because I loved writing so much as a child. I loved practicing my handwriting, and then when you have a, you know, your firstborn doesn't like it, um, you you wonder. Anyhow, so I began to search everything I could on brush drawing and using the parents' reviews. I'm so thankful that um, Ambleside Online had uh, transcribed a number of those. And so, you know, taking all of the information I could find, I began implementing the brush drawing lessons um, in our home school. That was, uh, well, my oldest is 16 now, so about 10 years ago. But there were still, you know, questions I had. I knew that Charlotte Mason didn't want children to run before they could walk. And I knew that there was more to this brush drawing. And, but it wasn't until two years ago that I finally uncovered Emmeline Steinthal's original brush drawing course. And then all of the pieces kind of came into place. Wow. 
that is so much information. Just, um, well, first of all, that I think we all go through this. I think we go through that tension of things aren't going well. Um, and so maybe you would tend to want to blame the, the method, but we sort of have to introspect a little bit and think about how maybe we're misapplying something. Um, sounds like that was the start of a huge journey for you. It was. It was great. And I, I mean, I learned so much about it. And one of the wonderful things I think in all of this is that it really shows that these, these principles um, are just interwoven throughout a Charlotte Mason education, that the methods rest firmly upon these principles. And I think that is part of the beauty of, of this kind of holistic education that we're giving our children. Absolutely. So speaking of these principles, what are Mason's principles that are being most exercised when we are studying brush drawing? So first of all, let's kind of maybe define what it is. Miss Mason called, called it a living art, and she valued it for a number of reasons, but I think that the most important principle um, is that its use was capable of giving life to a line. And she believed that this ability to capture the gesture or character of living things could be obtained with the brush. It could be obtained best with the brush and that it couldn't be obtained with what she called um, non-elastic instruments, like a, you know, a, a pencil or, or a pen. And it doesn't I mean we never use those. We definitely do use those, but, but brush drawing is a watercolor technique that works incredibly well for both nature journaling and illustration. Her main, I think, three principles here and uh, that I think you, you know quite a bit about is capturing the form or the gesture um, and the essence of subjects and their, their beauty of color with relatively few simple, we call them simple, they take practice for sure, but uh, we're able to do that with relatively few simple yet eloquent strokes. So that's what brush drawing is. Oh, thank you so much for defining that. That is, it's different than maybe some watercolor technique that you've seen out there. It is basically moving the brush and pressing the brush in a way that the brush is capturing most of the lines when you're talking in natural forms like grasses and things like that. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there with the form and the color and, and that term, the elasticity of the utensil is great because we tend to think that it's not so easy to use, but I think if you're given the right tools and the right practice, it's it can be a great tool for for this implement. The ability of brush drawing, you're right, because it's not a wet-on-wet technique and it's not a totally dry technique either, but because your wrist and your arm are kept free, you have this kind of freedom of movement, uh, able to give this kind of this free gesture with your brush that is going to uh, give those the beauty of the line, the gesture of the line in the in the plant or the specimen that you're drawing. Because we know that in the Charlotte Mason education that education is an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life, and that life is so important to Charlotte Mason. So that's why it was the brush that was able to give the most life, we know, with uh, nature study 
the idea of the study of life quickens the interest and fills us with wonder. Um, Agnes Drury said she headed up the, um, the nature notebook. She was the nature notebook inspector. But we're also tied to this idea of, of life in that we're studying live objects. Uh, you know, Charlotte Mason kind of issued collections of dead specimens. She tells us in The Great Recognition, a first condition of this vitalizing teaching is that all the thought we offer to our children should be living thought. And so we're kind of wrapped up in this idea of life here with brush drawing. I agree wholeheartedly with that, and I couldn't have put it better. I have often had those words rolling around in my mind of what's a living drawing? What's a living concept for getting this information down? That you're drawing from life and that you're drawing living lines, it just it seems to just work so well and go together. Well, we can talk more about, I mean, it's hard to say all of the principles because there are many principles um, in brush drawing. So we've discussed freedom of movement of wrist and arm. You help foster control of the brush. The exercises help develop control, evenness, and a steady hand. Beautiful curves and lines are produced when the fingers have gained freedom to touch. We're also looking at developing the artistic sense in the child, developing their powers of observation, and also developing their imagination uh, when they illustrated, using brush drawing, illustrated nursery rhymes or a tale that they may have just listened to or read. So, but the main three, I think, ideas in the Charlotte Mason method would be uh, the grace of gesture, life, and the beauty of color. And those are the same principles that are given both by Ruskin and uh, Collingwood often. Yes. Sometimes think of Collingwood as a good bridge between Ruskin and some of this brush drawing material that I've been reading. But really, I think they all are working off of the same principles and ideas. I think there's still that reverence for life and the living forms and capturing that. And it's not not something that you can really prescribe, but you can, I think you can give the child the freedom by equipping them with doing these, you know, beginning exercises in this which will then give them a toolkit, if you will, for representing these in nature and, yeah, developing their own style and design sense. With one thing I've liked um, with the patterning of your portions of your lessons is learning spacing. So you've only got maybe like a half page left if you're just trying to work on one page. And so you really have to make some decisions about what do I want to put in the middle and how much space do I need to leave on the outside to make this have a good composition? I think really the only way you can do that is to just jump in and try and do better on your next one. What do you think about that? Well, I think you brought up a a couple of really good points. And one is that, um, you know, Charlotte Mason or Emmeline Steinfeld, they did not advocate just, you know, pages and pages of, of blobs that weren't well done. It's the same as kind of handwriting or writing in, in the arithmetic lesson. You want everything to be accurate and well-placed. So a few 
well-placed, you know, done with as much accuracy as a child is able is much more important than going through an entire sheet of just throwing these blobs down. The second thing that you brought up was design, and this is definitely an important part of Charlotte Mason's education in all the forms was design. With the course, really, I mean, and this is something that Emmeline Steinthal in PNEU Thought talks about, the blobs alone can become mechanical, and they don't make an appeal to the imagination. So design is introduced immediately in order to kind of cultivate the artistic sense. And also, um, we're talking about making original combinations using the strokes that a child has learned. That's going to cultivate a child's artistic sense. And as you said, it, they have to make some decisions here. They, they can't just throw everything down. They need to be a, a bit thoughtful about this process. Yes, and I also think, too, when you're taking this technique to the field, it's perfect because you may only have 10 to 15 minutes to make a nature note. There, I don't think there's any really better way to just get a quick sketch down, but a lively, really expressive one at that. I remember reading, reading uh, one of the students at the teacher training college talking about, you know, they might only have 15 minutes in order to make their illustration in their nature notebook. They were all done in brush drawing all the way. You know, we just published on Charlotte Mason Poetry an article on keeping the nature notebook, and that was in 19, from 1942, and the nature notebooks were still using brush drawing um, to, uh, for their illustration. Wow. And it's just so neat that these things all just work together so nicely. It's not like there's one category and you're only finding it in this one area of the education. It's you find it throughout and everything helps another. Um, maybe we, sh we should let the listeners know um, in the parents' union schools, it was brush drawing lessons were given for form one. That's kind of the equivalent of first through third grade. But then brush drawing itself was used all the way through through a student's entire formal education. So you would find brush drawings in the in the exams. You would have brush drawing illustrations for narrations. Uh, students, uh, you know, we have in Aunt May's budget, we have juniors sending in an entire, uh, you know, a sheet of straight lines using the brush. Things like this. So, so although it was only the lessons were only given those first three years, we still see brush drawing used throughout. That's really neat. It's not something that's saved for later on. It's when they begin school. That's right along with everything else. And so, I think training that muscle memory from the get go is really important. And maybe we tend to want to save certain things that we think are too difficult. You know, a time where habits aren't maybe the brain isn't as elastic and habits are a little bit more set in. Do you think along those lines as well that introducing this method early on is really powerful? Yes, it's kind of the same as, you know, if, if you don't help your child learn to hold their pencil correctly, and then what that means for them later on, you know, we, we want to develop these habits before, because we're always developing habits, right? They're either going to be good habits or they're going to be bad habits. And so there are a number of habits being developed here. One definitely is you're holding the paintbrush like you would hold a pencil, except that, that the pencil, which is held at 45 degrees 
to the paper, the um, paintbrush is being held in brush drying at 90 degrees to the paper. You've got an entire list of good habits, uh, developing a light yet firm touch, developing a steady hand, ease with the brush, accuracy and precision of the eye, engaging the imagination. I love that imagination is a habit, according to Charlotte Mason. Um, yeah. yeah. Habits of observation cultivated. Educating and cultivating the truest and highest art faculties of our children. And that's a quote of, of Emmeline Steinthal's. So accuracy of eye, exactness, freedom of the wrist. All of these, th- all of these good habits are being developed. Um, probably the most important, though, is observation because they were, the children were continuously, closely observing what they were to brush draw. Yes, with a lot of focus, with it being a short lesson. You got to get that pressure, but it is a little bit of a time pressure, only enough time to make a best decision, if you will. I do think that it gave a a child confidence, right? Because they, um, you know, you think about it, if you go to paint something and you can't control your brush, you know, it's, it's a much more difficult process than if you have done the exercises and you have mastery and control of your brush then it's really quite enjoyable. Yes. I think a lot of the time we can cripple ourselves by, yeah, just not having that initial know-how. And so the whole thing seems very daunting. Actually, I read something from you, your great story about Winston Churchill. Uh, When I give brush drawing kind of immersion or workshops, um, a lot of time we are dealing with fears on the part of the participants. Perhaps they've been told that they um, didn't have any artistic ability, or they've come upon that thought on their own without anyone saying that to them. And so it's kind of a great way to get over the fears. Yeah. And you know what? I have it pulled up here, actually. <laughs> Would you like for me to read it, or do you want to read it? I think I've spoken so much. Okay. Why don't you read it? Rochelle has a favorite story that Winston Churchill recounts about his first steps in painting. Having stood for quite some time in trepidation before his canvas, he describes how he, with infinite precaution, made a mark about as big as a bean upon the affronted snow-white shield. His friend, the artist, Lady Hazel Levery, happens upon the scene, commanding, But what are you hesitating about? Let me have a brush, the big one. Churchill says of the attack, and then several large fierce strokes and slashes of blue on the absolutely cowering canvas. Anyone could see that it could not hit back. No evil fate averted the jaunty violence. The canvas grinned in helplessness before me. The spell was broken. The sickly inhibitions rolled away. I seized the largest brush and fell upon my victim with berserk fury. I have never felt any awe of a canvas since. <laughs> Sorry, berserk fury. I love that. <laughs> the, <laughs> the fighting imagery is very, oh, he puts it really well there. It's such a great story. And you think about, you know, just what a powerful leader and amazing man that Winston Churchill was. Yet when faced with the blank canvas, he was frozen, you know, and... Um, so we really do. We just need to get over ourselves and and kind of get past that and, and kind of go for it, as Winston Churchill did. Attack it. 
Thank you for sharing that. Okay. So I suppose it's time for controversy here on the show. I don't know if any of the listeners out there have read volume one, Charlotte Mason, Home Education, page 312 in my copy within the scope of art training. Here's the quote. But for their actual drawing lessons, says the reader, I suppose you use blobs. Blobs, i.e. splashes of paint made with a flat of the brush, which take an oval form. I think blobs have one use. They give certain freedom in using color. Otherwise, blobs seem to me a sort of apparatus of art, which a child acquires with a good deal of labor, and which, by proper combinations into flowers and so on, he can produce effects beyond his legitimate power as an artist while all the time he can do this without a particle of the feeling for the natural object, which is the very soul of the art. The power of effective creation by a sort of clever trick maims those delicate feelers of a child's nature by which he apprehends art. So after reading this selection, I quickly became a little meek about the idea of brush drawing. Her, her language here is very strong. It seems to me that it would maim the delicate feelers. So I wondered if you could share with us your insight into this and we could talk about it. Sure. So, well, there's a lot going on here. So I'm going to bring in a lot of information uh, about this. So I hope you bear I, with me. I absolutely me. will. Um, so first, I'd like to use the words of Mr. Collingwood. He was the student of Ruskin's who... Um, who drew up the Fessel Club papers at Miss Mason's request, the Correspondence Art Club, um, that was part of the Parents' Review. And Mr. Collingwood says of people that uh, write of contradictions that appear in Ruskin's writing, he says, these contradictions are not real. They do not exist in the author's mind, but only in the reader's, when he has misunderstood either the general drift or the exact limitation of the matter in question. And so I think that you know, when we're looking at this quote, we have to really kind of broaden out a bit to, to see a lot of the things that she was talking about that her audience perhaps at the time was a lot more aware of than we are today in the 21st century. And I think a key part is that the child is able, as Mason said, to produce effects without a particle of the feeling for the natural object, which is the very soul of the art. And she reiterates the same thought again in book one of ourselves. I'm going to read some of these sections from ourselves. What we call nature is all beauty and delight, and the person who watches nature closely and knows her well, like the poet Wordsworth, for example, has his beauty sense always active, always bringing him joy. Then she discusses the so-called artists who labor away to get the color and form of the things they see and to paint these on canvas or shape them in marble or model them in wax flowers. And all the time they miss because they do not see that subtle presence which we call beauty in the objects they paint and mold. Many persons allow themselves to be deceived in this matter and go through life without ever entering the palace of art and perceiving but little of the beauty of nature. We all have need to be trained to see and to have our eyes opened before we can take in the joy that is meant for us in this beautiful life. And so I think that this is uh, 
mainly what what she's getting at in this section. Remember before we had talked about uh, blobs becoming mechanical um, type of a thing and not stirring the imagination, not arousing the imagination, or there were a number of books being produced on brush drawing, and Charlotte Mason reviews a number of these books. And when you read her reviews, you can kind of see which ones she doesn't like and which ones she does like. And I'm going to um, give some, some notes on a few of the reviews. This is all so good. I'm just soaking it up. Proceed. I just have so many papers because I just printed out some of these. Reviews. I don't have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> I can't relate. What she what she talks about in these reviews of these brush drawing books is that some are just mechanical, and they never get to the life. So she says, uh, she says of brush work by Mrs. Roland Hill that many will hail with delight this book about brush work. It makes a dark saying luminous, and everyone may now understand what is meant by the brush work meaning. He quotes a letter from Mrs. Alma Tadamo saying, I have seen refinement of lines in the drawings of insects, flowers, and plants, and especially tendrils in the work of some Japanese artists equaled by no others. In fact, with the brush, an artist is, as we call it, capable of giving life to a line. In her next review of a brush drawing book, um, she calls it extremely suggestive and a little too much methodized. And so really, it's kind of nothing new that we've seen so far that, that she's looking for life. She's not looking for just a, an ability to, oh, well, I know some of these books, if you look at them, they have the child producing everything just out of that initial blob. So, you know, in lesson one of the brush drawing course, that initial blob that you, that you lay down that mm -hmm. first stroke, so all of their butterflies, all of their flowers, all of their dragonflies are produced using just that stroke. And so they kind of come off with this almost cartoony like, uh, yep. maybe, you know, if the child never advanced from that, it's really great to do that as part of their, their design work. You know, they get to do their original design. But then, it, you know, what, these, um, what she's talking about here are blobs being the end result rather than the means to the end, which is, of course, to, to capture something, to re reproduce something, and to capture its character, its grace, its life. But then she talks about, she gives two reviews of Emmeline Steinthal's brush drawing course, and she says, the members of the various branches of the PNEU who have had the pleasure of hearing a demonstration lesson on brushwork from Mrs. Steinthal will hail this volume with delight. It is still in the press as we write, but we hope it will, will be published in time for the second term of the Parents Review School, as no one can interpret what we mean by brushwork so fully as the author, from whom, indeed, we have derived many of our ideas on the subject. Now, unfortunately, we don't have the programs from this time period to see if if that was the course that was then used. But then when Emmeline Steinthal's brush drawing course comes out, then Miss Mason reviews it again. And she says, most readers of the Parents Review have been inspired by Mrs. Steinthal's lectures on brush drawing and will rejoice to have a definite course of lessons from her hand and that of Miss Leach. We entreat our readers to use the notes in the handbook, which are full of artistic feeling with the course. 
uh, for example, rushes and grasses. These are hints and not copies. And that, again, was um, where some of these other brush drawing courses were having a child always just mm-hmm. copy pictures. With Emily Steinthal's brush drawing, uh, you, you were taking your specimens from, na- from nature directly. And then she says, we hope all our readers will get the course. But then the woman who wrote the book herself, she, um, she actually writes a letter to the Journal of Education. I liked the hints, not copies. That's a great way yeah. to think of it. A hint. And you'll see Charlotte Mason in her volumes a few times discusses the mistake of only copying mm-hmm. drawings in outline. Yeah, that it vitiates the eyes. So Emmeline Steinthal writes to the editor of the Journal of Education regarding brush drawing. Uh, She talks about the true art of brush drawing and the false art, which she, she says, I am constantly fighting the present system of brush drawing. Brush drawing rightly taken consists of exercises only which play the part to art they play the part to art that scales and exercises do to music. These exercises give firmness, lightness, and accuracy of touch and help the pupils to obtain complete mastery over the brush and color. Early design can be taught with brush drawing, but there its province ends. The moment nature is attempted, the child must draw straight from nature and learn to observe every change in line or color. A child who does a daisy in blobs is further off from understanding that daisy than he was before he tried it. Every petal must be copied carefully and exactly. The motto should be in every art class. The genius of observation is almost the whole of human genius. Whoa, that's a bold statement. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what we see, you know, when we look through all of these reviews, um, and what Mason's saying, she doesn't she doesn't like this this methodization of blobs um, that that doesn't cultivate cultivate the artistic or the beauty sense, right? The person, even the greatest artist, if he if he doesn't have any love for what he's actually um, drawing, then she she believes he's never actually entered into the palace Ugh. of art. That's one of my favorite parts of ourselves. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> so does that yes. kind of make sense of it or should we go on? Because we still see, I mean, if we just rely on this one quote and we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here, we see that brush drawing was still the chosen technique to give life to illustrations and to especially the nature notebook. Wow. Yes, that is all very, very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I think that that I really like that Emmeline Steinthal um, refers to it as kind of scales, like piano scales. If you think about hearing someone play scales, and then if you've ever heard a true um, master of his instrument plays scales, a virtuoso, if you will, and to hear what uh, what a virtuoso can do with those scales is so, it's almost like a symphony unto itself. Yes. It's the artistic feeling, I think, being brought into that, which I think we cultivate, or at least we 
give room for the cultivation of that, but don't expect that by any means that every student is going to excel, you know, in that way. We can give them the best ideas and we can give them the means. But one of the things that draws me to a Charlotte Mason education is that the child is not pressured to excel in every way possible, only that he try his his best and that it leaves all of these open doors for him to take the food for his mind that is necessary to him and that God made him a unique person. Oh, yes. I mean, um, with, with Charlotte Mason's first principle, children are, are born persons, is a part of that because it's very, you know, it encompasses a lot of things. But a part of that is that every child is born with an ability um, and so it doesn't mean that we can only educate da Vinci's or Picasso's and that art is only open to those people, but that every, you know, if we give every child, if we start them out on the right path, that, that they're going to have a certain ability with it. And it's the same thing. It's, it's not just for the gifted few. It's the same with music education in a Charlotte Mason education. It doesn't mean that every child is going to be a Mozart and we only educate a Mozart, but that every child can can have their music sense cultivated as well and their appreciation for music. And with math, it's not just for the mathletes or the gifted few in math, but that every child can have this wondrous world of numbers opened up to him. Yeah. And, and that takes the pressure off them for sure that they, we aren't just mass producing a person who's going to give us some output. Volume one again here. Under the headline, children have art in them. With art, as with so many other things in a child, we must believe that it is there, or we shall never find it. Once again, here is a delicate Ariel, whom it is our part to deliver from his bonds. Therefore, we set twig or growing flower before a child and let him deal with it as he chooses. He will find his own way to form and color, and our help may very well be limited at first to such technical matters as the mixing of colors and the like, in order that we may not impede the child's freedom or hinder the deliverance of the art that is in him. We must be careful not to offer any aids in the way of guiding lines, points, and such other crutches, and also he should work in the easiest medium, that is, with paintbrush or with charcoal, and not with a black lead pencil. And I think even what you have brought with the information from Steinthal and Charlotte's various reviews on her courses really clarifies this section as well. Thank you. <laughs> and I also like Ruskin's idea that, you know, the tools that we use should not become our masters. We are to master it. I think that's what you're talking about here with learning this facility with the brush, that it can be a hard thing starting out, but it produces so much fruit if we would stick with it, just believe in what it's capable of. Oh, yes. Think about even holding a pencil. I don't know if you remember, <laughs> you know, having your summer vacation and then coming back and, you know, picking up a pencil again and trying to write. And it was a little bit awkward. And, you know, as an adult, we pick up a pencil and we write without thinking of it. But these are, you know, 
these are some some things that are going to feel awkward in the hand, but sticking with it really does. In the end, it really allows so much more freedom for the child. Yeah. Well, I am happy to be learning this. Maybe a lot of listeners don't know that I am also new to this technique. I have loved learning this, the the wisdom in it. You know, I'm just learning my way through this as well. I've really liked it. And it's given me new, I think the term life drawing too. We use that term a lot in studio art. It's drawing the form from life, the human form. And I that phrase just keeps rolling around in my mind now that that term has a new meaning to me now that we've talked about drawing from life and drawing with something that produces such life on the page. And, and I do think that in the in the end, of course, ultimately, all of this knowledge, everything we're observing, it ultimately turns our hearts to God when we when we recognize this beauty in nature, you know, rather than walking the same path to the mailbox back and forth and never looking around, ne- never observing anything. But then when our eyes are opened to the beauty, then our hearts are definitely turned to God. I'm really enjoying this discussion with Rochelle, but we have to stop here for today. Join me again next week where she will help us to put feet on these ideas and give us some practical counsel for our own learning and guiding our students in this. Thanks for listening in today. Hey, follow me on Instagram if you're over there, as that's the visual companion to the podcast. And now you can also join my Facebook page. It's the same name, Bestowing the Brush, which features some different content and videos for encouragement and help. See you again next Wednesday, friends.